I was kind of weak. Good morning. There we go. There we go. All right. Well, okay. Let me start with this. I'm super nervous right now. Okay. I wasn't until I just, I walked up here. So like the whole last night I was talking to my wife, I was like, oh, you know, I don't feel as nervous as the first two times I preached. And then like, I walked up here and it's like, boom, I felt the weight. So, you know, just pray for me. I'll, I'm going to pray before we start. But, um, but my name is Marta Shea Gaston. I'm one of the members here at Pillar Church. And, you know, normally we go through one book of the Bible, uh, verse by verse. That's what um, Pastor Kanan normally does. But today I'll be preaching on a specific topic. We're going to talk about the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians chapter 5. So if you've been in church for any number of years, uh, you've probably heard a sermon or two on the fruit of the Spirit, or you may have heard about the fruit of the Spirit. So we're going to talk about that today and talk about the fruit, what it is. Um, and our text is, like I said, from Galatians chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles... Uh, open up to Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 to 23. Okay, so either flip through it or swipe to it. Um, so Galatians 5, 22 to 23. And then we'll read that together. So once you find it, just say amen. All right, so I will start reading. Uh, so again, Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 to 23. Here's what it says. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. All right, let's pray. Father, I thank you that we get to come here this morning to hear from your word. And we know that your word does not go out void. And so it's going to do what you have set forth for it to do today. And that it would pierce the hearts of the men and women and children in here. Uh, so that we would hear what you want us to hear, God. And, and act in ways that you want us to act, God. And that your spirit would just touch our souls and our hearts, God. To, to love you more. To be obedient to the things you've uh, called us to do. To convict us of sin, if necessary, Lord. Um, because what we want is heart change, God. We don't want to just have new knowledge, but then do nothing with that. Um, and so I just pray that um, your spirit would move in here, that you would just use me as a just a vessel, God, um, and that they don't see me. They don't hear my words, but these are your words, Lord, um, that are being spoken to your people. And so I just pray that you would bless this time. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Okay, so before we start, I want to kind of give you guys an outline of what we're going to talk about, okay? So we're going to talk about the fruit of the Spirit, but here's how we're going to proceed with that. So first, we're going to talk about who is the Holy Spirit, right? Because we're saying it's the fruit of the Spirit. Well, who is the Spirit that we're um, describing? Second, we're going to look at two types of fruit. And then lastly, we're going to talk about how do we grow the fruit of the Spirit, okay? Now, let me say this before we even start, right? When I read this sermon last night, like I finished, you know, getting it all together and then I read through it just like a drier one. It was like over an hour. OK. It's not going to be an hour today. OK, I promise you that. All right. <laughs> it won't be. OK. I'm going to time myself. So it won't be an hour. I cut some things down. I was like, man, that's, that's long. OK. But just in case. OK, I'm just letting you guys know up front. OK. When I read through it, it was an over an hour. All right. But here we go. So the first thing we're going to look at is who is the Holy Spirit? So the Holy Spirit, uh, again, if you've been in church, you've heard about the Holy Spirit. He's the third person of the Trinity. 
Okay, and we're not going to talk about the Trinity. That's a whole separate sermon that would take a whole lot to discuss. Um, but he's the third person of the Trinity. Okay, Matthew twenty-eight nineteen says, "Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit." Okay, so as Christians, we don't believe in three different gods. It's one God, three persons, and the Holy Spirit is the third person in that Trinity. So the Holy Spirit is not like a mystical force or thing in the universe, right? Like if you've seen in Star Wars, let the, may the force be with you, okay? That's not what we're talking about with the Holy Spirit, okay? He's not a force that just is some mystical power that, you know, people have, all right? People like to talk about that, you know, just a being and a force and things like that. Not the Holy Spirit. He's a person, okay? Also, we receive the Holy Spirit the moment we become Christians. Ephesians 1.13 says this, in him, you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. So the moment any of us in here, the moment we put our faith in Jesus, we received the Holy Spirit. Okay? God's Spirit was placed inside of us. And that's what 1 Corinthians 16 verse 9 says, that he lives in us. It says, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? Okay, that right there is crazy to think about the fact that God has made our bodies his temple, right? Because if you guys remember in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit would just come down on people for a moment, right? Samson, okay? You guys probably know Samson, right? The strong guy, he never cut his hair, and, you know, he had this super strength. But then the moment his hair was cut, he lost that power because the Bible says the Spirit left him. So the Spirit would come on people in the Old Testament for quick moments to do some great work, right? The Bible talks about Saul, the first king. The Spirit rushed on him, and he started prophesying, and he was speaking, okay? But now the Bible says the Spirit dwells in us. Our bodies are the actual temple. Back in the Old Testament, the people went to the temple, and God's Spirit was there. That's where it dwelt. But now it dwells in us. I mean, that is something I can't fathom, right? I don't know if you guys have thought about that, the fact that your body is a temple, Right. So it's sacred. It's holy because God's spirit dwells in us. Now, one of the main roles of the Holy Spirit is to make us more and more like Jesus. OK, because I don't know about you guys, but none of us. I didn't look like Jesus the moment I became a Christian. Right. It wasn't like, bam, I became a Christian. And like, man, I was like holy from the, the get go. Right. I was perfect. I did everything right. OK. Maybe some of you were like that, but that wasn't me. OK. So that's the Holy Spirit's job. It's to make us more and more like Jesus. Um, John 14, 26 says this, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Okay, he's going to help us remember Jesus' words. He's going to convict us of sin. He's going to uh, guide us into truth. Okay, he's going to, his job is to help us to be like Jesus, to teach us what Jesus says, um, to obey okay, God, and to help us be more like our Heavenly Father. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. Okay, So that's the intro. That's who the Holy Spirit is. Third person of the Trinity. He lives in us. We receive him the moment we become believers, and he helps us to be more like our Heavenly Father. So now, let's actually get into our verse so we can start going through the fruit of the Spirit. Okay, Now that we know who the Spirit is. So go back to Galatians 5, and let's look at verse 22. Okay, but the fruit of the spirit is okay. Stop right there. 
verse 22 starts with the word but, right? So what's up with that? Why is that word there? And that's the thing. Anytime you're reading your Bibles and you see the word but or however or the word because, okay, it means there's something that happened prior to that the text is referring to, okay? And that's why it's always important to read the verses around um, whatever passage you're reading because there's a fuller picture that we're going to miss out on if we just only read those two verses right there, okay? So since it says but, we have to know what is it talking about? Why is that word but there? So let's go back and look at verses 19 through 21, okay? So go back in Galatians 5, look at verses 19 through 21. I'll read them for you. And here's what it says. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I am warning you about these things, as I warned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So, before we even talk about the fruit of the Spirit, we're going to talk about the fruit or the works of the flesh. That's what verses 19 through 21 are talking about. Now, you guys remember in school, or for you kids who are still in school, right, when you guys had to write a paper and your English teacher would make you do like a, compa a compare and contrast? And it's like, all right, compare these two things and contrast them, right? So they say, okay, compare and contrast how dogs and cats are similar. Or compare and contrast, you know, the U.S. economy to the economy of Canada. Right? We've all probably written a paper or had to do something like that. And sometimes you have to do, like, remember the Venn diagrams? You had the two circles, and they would connect, and it's like they're similar in this ways, and they're different in these ways, okay? So that's kind of what verses 19 through 21 are doing compared to what, we're gonna, what we've read in verses 22 to 23. So the fruit of the Spirit is opposite to the works of the flesh, two opposing kind of worldviews. So these are the two different types of fruit. So verses 19 through 21, the works of the flesh, this is our natural state as human beings, right? This is our default. Every single one of us, before we became a Christian, and even after we're Christians, this is kind of our default nature. That's what verses 19 through 21 are telling us. So all those things we write about, selfish ambitions, outbursts of anger, idolatry, strife, jealousy, okay? All of those things, that's how each and every one of us, myself included, that's how we act by nature, by default, okay? How many of you in here have, well, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you have children or know a child, right? There's a whole section of kids over here, okay? Right? Do you have to teach a child or a baby to be um, selfish? Right? Do you have to teach them to get angry? Right? None of us has to teach a baby to do that, right? Like my daughter, three years old, love her, right? But, I mean, she knows how to be selfish. I didn't teach her that. Right? When she gets a toy, one of the first things kids do is what? Mine. All right? See? A bunch of y'all said that automatically. Mine. No one teaches a child to say that, right? But by default, that's what they do. Mine. All right? They don't want to share. They get mad. They throw things. Right? That's human nature by default. From the tiniest baby, we all see that. We all know that. Okay? Let me give you another example. So that's kids, adults. All right? Have you ever, you've been driving on the road and somebody cuts you off? Right? You're driving and somebody just, they just cut right in front of you on the highway, right? And I know every single one of us in here, right? We say, oh, God bless you, kind sir. Please get in front of me. Go ahead. I'm pretty sure you're in a rush. It's okay. Go ahead. You know? 
right? That, that's everyone, right? Jim is like, yeah, that's what I do every time, right? That's what we all do, right? Not at all, okay? Our default reaction is what? You get upset, you get angry, you get mad, right? Some of you start cursing, okay? Some people start using sign language, okay? <laughs> you know, like that's default, right? That's what we do. That's the sinful nature that's in us. That's what verses 19 through 21 says. See, we're all laughing because we all know it's true, okay? We have to be taught or trained or discipled to do something different, okay? Because by nature, without the Spirit working in us, that's how we're going to continue to react, okay? And again, it's even a struggle after we become a Christian. Because like I said, none of us by default, once we get saved, automatically is holy, and we stop doing every single thing that we used to do before, okay? So that's the works of the flesh, so the fruit of the Spirit is the exact opposite of all of that stuff. Now, remember when I said that the Holy Spirit, one of his jobs is to help us to become more like Jesus, to become like our Heavenly Father? Okay. Well, one of the things that... Um, yeah, so he helps us to become like our Heavenly Father. Now, have you guys heard the phrase, um, you know, we're all God's children? Have you guys heard that phrase? You know, everybody is a God, you know, we're all God's children. Okay. That is actually not biblical, okay? Because when we look at the Bible, here's what it says. It says we're all God's creation, but we're not all God's children, okay? Let me read something for you that Jesus, a conversation that he had with the Jews, okay? This is in John chapter 8, verses 42 to 44. It says this, okay? So this is the Jews. They're talking to Jesus, and they say, hey, we have one father, God. But Jesus says to them, if God were your father, you would love me. Because I came from God and I am here. For I didn't come on my own, but he sent me. Why don't you understand what I say? Because you cannot listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. Because there is no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature. Because he is a liar and the father of lies. See, that's, that hurts right there, right? That stings. Imagine, you're like, hey, Jesus, yeah, you know, God's my father. And he's like, nah, man, you're a child of the devil, okay? That's what he told him, okay? And that's, that's a harsh truth, but it's reality, okay? Because, I mean, there are so many lovely phrases and things that people like to say, but they're not true according to the Bible, okay? So we're all God's children, mm, not true, okay? We're all his creation, but not all his children. Here's who the Bible says are God's children, John 1, 12 through 13 says this, but to all who did receive him, he gave the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. So only believers can claim to be called children of God. Once we become, once we put our trust in Jesus and we're saved, God adopts us. Now we are children of God. Now he becomes our heavenly father. Okay, so whenever we're acting like verses 19 through 21, those works of the flesh, we're acting in our old nature. We're acting like our old father if we're Christians. Once we become a Christian, if we start acting like verses 22 to 23, that's the Holy Spirit working in us. So we've looked at the works of the flesh. Now let's look at the fruit of the spirit, the meat of our sermon today. So go back to Galatians 5.22. Okay. One thing to notice, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit, right? It doesn't say fruits, plural, okay? 
the fruit, singular, of the Spirit. Okay, why the distinction? Well, here's the thing. All the fruits that we see there, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, it's all one fruit. Okay, it's a package deal. It all comes together. All right? Have you ever gotten one of those edible arrangements, like maybe at work or somebody sent you a gift, and it's like the big basket of fruit? Right? Some of them are dipped in chocolate, and you know, there's a whole bunch of different types of fruits on there. There's pineapples, and there's grapes, and there's cantaloupes, and there's honeydew. Right? What do most people do? Right? I know what I do. I take the ones I like. Right? Like I like pineapples, so I'll eat the pineapples. I'll eat all the ones that are covered in chocolate. Okay? I'll eat the grapes. But the honeydews, the cantaloupe, like, don't like those. Can't mess with that at all, okay? Some of you are like, what? That's crazy, okay? It's my sermon. I don't like that stuff, okay? <laughs> so, you know, I pick and choose the ones I like, and I leave the ones I don't like. Well, see, we can't do that. We don't get to do that with the fruit of the Spirit, okay? The Spirit's job is to work every single one of these in us, okay? We can't say, well, you know, Jesus, I'm cool with love, joy, and peace, but you know what? I, I can't be patient, you know, I just can't have self-control. Like, I can't be faithful. doesn't work like that. The Spirit is going to work all of these in us. Okay? Now, but does it mean that we're going to have all of them, like on a scale of 1 to 10, like we're all going to be 10s on every single one of them? There may be some that, you know, we, each of us individually, have more or less than others, but we should see to some level each of these in our lives. Okay? So we're going to look at them one by one. Um, and each of them is just going to be a real quick touch on each of these, just so we can go through and talk about what it looks like for each of these. Okay, so we're going to start with, well, before we start with them, one thing to notice is that each of these, uh, each of the fruit of the Spirit, it's an you can call it an attribute or a characteristic of God. Because you're going to see that God, because it's a fruit of the Spirit, God is the one who is going to give us these things, and each of them are characteristics of himself, right? God is love. God is good. God is faithful. He's gentle. So we're going to see that. Um, so they all start from him, and then we start to reflect that. So let's start with love. One of the most misused words in our English language, right? Because we only have one word for love. The Bible has multiple words to describe love, right? Because we can love ice cream, we can love a person, and we can love a comment on Facebook, all with that same word, right? Because we only have one word. Okay, but when the Bible talks about love, like I said, there's different words that it can use. And anytime you see the, the difficult love passages, okay, it's using the word agape. And so in John, in 1 John, 1 John 4, it goes on to tell us that we love because God loved us first. Okay, the type of love that the Bible talks about, it's different than what we think about when we think about the word love just in the world, right? It's not like, you know, you know, you love your spouse or you love your children, right? This is a sacrificial denying of self type of love when the Bible talks about that, right? Because what is the very first commandment when, when the people had asked Jesus, hey, what's the greatest commandment? What did Jesus say? Anybody know? What's the first, what do he say is the greatest commandment? Love God and love your neighbor, okay? Love God, love others. So it starts with God and then it goes to others. So as Christians, our love should look different than what the world sees, right? Especially the way we love other believers. Because here's what Jesus said in John 13 through 30, 13, 35. It says, by this, everyone that will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. 
See, Jesus says the world is supposed to be able to tell that you guys are Christians by the way that you love each other, by the way that you guys love each other. So if we're not loving each other well, what are we telling the world? You know, what kind of example are we showing? Here's something I want to read for you, because too often this is what our love, our love looks like. I say I love you, but I never tell you the truth. Is that what it do? I say I love you, but I never hope in the best. I judge your motive as if I can see your heart through your chest. I say I love you, but I'm not willing to talk. I'd rather not see your face or hear your voice anywhere. I say I love you for sure, but my actions say I don't care. If I loved you, wouldn't I be willing to overlook wrong things that you've done? Instead of making it a habit, I make a list of everything I can't stand about you. Instead of never thinking of your feelings, the way I love you makes Jesus look unappealing. I say I love you. I say I love you. It wasn't really love. See, too often that's what our loves looks like in the church, and it should not be that way. Okay? Again, we should love sacrificially um, and giving of ourselves, especially to our brothers and sisters. Okay? So that's love. Second fruit, or second part of the fruit, joy. So too often we confuse the word joy with happiness, right? Not the same thing. Joy does not equal happiness. Okay? Joy, we cannot find joy in this world. Okay? Let me tell you that again. You will not find joy here on this earth. Joy is something that only comes from God. Happiness, yeah, you'll find happiness in this world, right? You get a new phone, happy, right? You get a new girl or a new guy, you're happy, right? You get a fresh haircut, right? Ladies, you get your hair done, you get your nails did, you get your eyebrows, right? You're happy, right? You get a new outfit, happy, okay? But happiness is temporary. Happiness will come for an hour or two or a month, and then it'll kind of fade, right? Like, I just got a new phone back in February, okay? I was hyped for the first month, right? I was playing with it, doing all sorts of things, and it's been two months now, and it's like, eh, you know, it's just a phone, I use it, okay? That's not joy. That was happiness, okay? Happiness will fade eventually, right? That's what we will find in this world. Joy is different. Joy is something that only God can give, right? Nehemiah 8.10 says, the joy of the Lord is my strength, Psalm 16:11 says, "In your presence is abundant joy; at your right hand are eternal pleasures." See, joy is joy will give you peace even when things around you are kind of crazy, even in the midst of sorrow, right? That's why as Christians, if we have a brother or sister who dies in the faith, you know, while it it'll be sad and we'll have hurt and pain, but there's a joy there because we know that hey, that person is now with Jesus, right? If they're a believer, they are with the Father. So there can be joy in the midst of pain. There can be joy in the midst of sorrow and sadness. That is joy. That's what we get from God. Okay? Peace. What's peace? That's another word that we use pretty often, right? We throw up peace signs, like deuces, peace. Okay? There's the peace symbol, right? It was real popular back in the day. Um, you hear phrases like no justice, no peace. Um, when I was in middle school, high school, maybe elementary school, people used to say, like, peace in the Middle East, right, as a, as a slang phrase, right? Okay, see, some of y'all remember that, right? Peace in the Middle East. Um, but just like joy, there is no true peace in this world, right? People are always looking for peace, right? People try to find peace, like, you know, you've heard the phrase, like, look for inner peace, look within yourself for peace, okay? No, if you look within yourself, you're going to find a lot of sin and pain and, you know, just junk, Okay, there is no true peace within us. 
Peace is something that comes from outside of us. That is God only ordained. Okay? And especially when we think about our lives as Christians, well, even before we were Christians, we were enemies of God. And that's why Jesus came, right? Because that is the first type of peace that we need. We need to have peace with our Heavenly Father. Jesus is called the Prince of Peace in Isaiah 9, okay? Because that was his job. He came to make peace between us and God. Because we were, remember, we were children of the devil, okay? But once Jesus came and we became a believer, okay, we now have peace with God. And then Isaiah 26 says this, You will keep the mind that is dependent on you in perfect peace, for it is trusting in you. So now once we have peace with God, then we, now we can start to have peace with others. Right? Romans 12 says this, If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Matthew 5 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. See, peace is something that should characterize us as Christians, right? We shouldn't be people that are always like fighting and bickering and, you know, angry. And too often that's been the case, especially the past four years, eight years. I don't know, especially with like a lot of the political stuff. I mean, you've seen Christians just going at it online, on social media, you know, just bickering and arguing. And that's not the case. Like Jesus wants us to have peace with one another, okay? Peace with others. And again, as far as it depends on us, you know, if someone else doesn't want to make peace with us, well, that's on their business. But our role as Christians should be to make peace with others as much as we can. Okay? So that's peace. Peace is knowing God is in control even when everything around us is out of control. Okay? And God's peace surpasses all understanding. Because, you know, you'll have peace in a situation where people will be like, man, you know, like, why are you calm? Why are you like, you know, you should be rattled right now, right? Like with the pandemic. Okay? Everything is going crazy. Everything's shut down. Right. Well, as Christians, it's like, listen, God is in control. He wasn't surprised with the pandemic. God wasn't like, oh, snap. Now, what am I going to do now? You know, like people can't go to church now. They can't meet in the buildings. Well, it's OK. That's why we got video and technology and all this other stuff. Right. God is not shaken. And as his believers, again, I'm not saying we'll never worry, but we know that we can cast our Jesus says, listen, cast your burdens on me. Cast your worries on me. OK, so God ordained peace. We can have that. Patience. How many people in here would describe themselves as patient? Okay. Not many people, right? Most of us are impatient. And our culture doesn't help at all, right? Think about it. Back in the day, you used to have to you could order something online and it would take like a week to get to you, right? Now we got Amazon. You can get stuff in two days, right? Two day shipping. And even sometimes you get same day shipping with Amazon, which is crazy. Okay. I mean, a truck can be at your house tomorrow with whatever you need, groceries, you know, you need a, a battery, you need a new phone, whatever it may be. You can get it tomorrow, even today, right? You go to the Target app, click on, you know, uh, in-store pickup, same day, in an hour, you go to Target, you can pick up your item, right? We don't have to wait for anything, right? Like my kids, they probably never seen commercials, right? Because all their cartoons, everything is on Netflix, Hulu, right? They don't have to wait for anything. Right? You don't have to wait a week for your favorite show to come out because you just binge on Netflix. Right? You can watch a whole series in one night right? and just stay up all night and watch everything. Right? Okay? Any of y'all done that? Okay? I've done it. I'm not going to front. Okay? That's what we do. Our culture is like no one wants to wait and no one has to wait right? for anything. Right? You know, fast food. Right? You don't have to cook your food. Right? Just go to the restaurant, go to McDonald's, get in the drive-thru line. Boom, you got a burger in two minutes. Okay, so 
our culture does not help us to have patience. Our culture actually teaches us to be impatient all the time. But see, God is patient and he wants us as his children to be patient as well. Second Peter 3 says this, also regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. See, here's the thing, without God being patient with us, not a single one of us in here would be saved. See, think about how many times God was patient with us when we sinned, right? Think about how many times we sinned, we messed up, we strayed away, right? We ignored God, we spat in his face, we didn't do the things that he wanted us to do, right? Did God strike us down immediately? No, because we're all still here, right? But we, we could have been, right? It was all in his power, he could have done that. But he gave us time, he was patient with us. The Bible says that over and over again, God is long-suffering, he's patient. And so... I want each and every one of us to, to remember that the next time, you know, your coworker gets on your nerves, right? Your kids get on your nerves. Your spouse gets on your nerves, okay? I'm not going to look in that direction, um, you know? Um, <laughs> no, for me, not for her. She doesn't. Um, you know, so your, your children, your spouse, your coworker, right? And she hates that if I use her in my sermon, so. Um, so yeah, so think about that, right? God is patient with us, so we are called to be patient with each other, especially as believers, right? Don't be quick to judge your brother or your sister in the faith, right? Be patient with them, help them, um, especially when it comes to like matters of sin, okay? Don't be patient with the sin, but be patient with the person. Kindness, okay? Again, God is kind towards us. Titus 3 says this, but when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for man mankind appeared, he saved us. Romans 2 says this, Or do you despise the riches of his kindness, restraint, and patience, not recognizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to, to, lead you to repentance? See, God's kindness is why anyone, every one of us in here, those of us who are Christians, are saved. God was kind to us. Right? The Bible talks over and over again about God's loving kindness. Okay? Tons of passages, you'll see that in Psalms. So again, God is kind to us. So just like we talked about with patience, we need to be kind to others. But it's hard. Right? We're not going to front. It's hard to be kind even to people that we care about. Right? Our family members, our friends, even people that we love, it's hard to be kind to them. But as Christians, we're called to not just be kind to those people, but even our enemies. Right? Even people that hate us and despise us um, and want to attack us or persecute us or say things that are untrue or negative about us, the Bible wants to be kind to those people. Right? We can't be, uh, again, we can't be as Christians just hurtful and negative and, and angry to other people. Right? It can't be tit for tat. Well, you called me a name, I'm going to call you a name. Right? You cursed me out, fine, I'm going to curse you out back. Right? That is not our role as Christians. That is not the way God has demonstrated for us to act. Okay? So we show kindness to our enemies as believers. Goodness. God is good? Ah, okay. Some people know that. And all the time? Okay, perfect. I'm glad some of y'all know that. Because I was like, am I going to have to teach this? Okay. <laughs> so God is good. And we find that over and over and over in Scripture. First Chronicles 16 says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Psalm 25, 8 says, the Lord is good and upright. Mark 10 says, no one is good but God. So here's the thing. When we think about goodness, as Christians, we're not good just for the sake of being a good person. Like, oh, man, I'm a really, really, really good person, right? Our goodness is meant for the benefit of others. 
Okay? That's the type of goodness that Galatians 5 is talking about. See, non-believers can do good deeds, right? Because we all probably know a lot of people who are not Christians who, like, you know, they, they dig wells in other countries and, you know, they, they serve the poor and they help the homeless and, you know, they build schools for kids and, um, you know, non-Christians adopt. Like, people who are not believers do a lot of really, really good things, sometimes more than what we do, okay, which should put us to shame, right? There are a lot of really, really nice and good non-Christians out there. Okay, so what sets apart our goodness from, from their goodness? Well, when we're talking about goodness here. Well, remember, Isaiah, uh, I think it's Isaiah 6, and it says that all of our good deeds are like filthy rags before God. And the reason is, anytime we do a good deed that's separate from God's Spirit working in us to do that, okay, we are the ones, whether we're thinking about it consciously or not, to get, we're, we're the ones getting the glory. Right? We're doing it either for our own good or just for the sake of goodness. But see, as believers, when we do good deeds, it's supposed to reflect back to the God who was good to us to begin with. Okay? Our good deeds are meant to point people to Jesus to say, hey, listen, this good thing that I'm doing or this good act, listen, it's not because I'm such a wonderful, kind person. No, like God was good to me. He saved me. You know, when I was in my pit and I was, um, you know, his enemy, he saved me. And now I get to do this thing to serve you, to show you like, this is why I'm doing this. That's what Matthew 5, 16 says. It says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. See, that's what separates when we do good acts with the non-Christians, right? Our good deeds are meant to give glory to God, not to ourselves, okay? It's not so we can put a post on Instagram and say, hey, look at me, you know, I just helped out, I just helped some starving kids, okay? No, it all needs to point back to give glory to God. All right, faithfulness, a couple more. All right, anyone in here own a dog? Anybody got a dog? Okay, a couple people? All right. So those who know me know what? I don't like dogs, okay? I don't like animals, don't like no pets, no animals, right? Especially not dogs. They make me uncomfortable, okay? Some of y'all are like, what? Looking at me like I'm, I'm crazy, okay? They make me jumpy, okay? I'm not gonna say I'm scared, but they just make me jumpy, okay? Not a punk. They just a little nervous, you know, like a dog comes to me. It's like, hey, stay over there. Okay. But what do we call dogs? Like, what's the nickname that people give dogs? Man's best friend. Okay. Why? Because dogs are loyal, right? Dogs are faithful to their owners, right? They'll wait by the door for them. You know, you've probably seen stories of like a dog who, you know, ran away and then it like comes back to find their owner. Um, or, you know, they'll, they'll lick you in their face, which... Ugh. Um, you know, all sorts of, you know, all sorts of wonderful, cute things because dogs are man's best friend, right? They're loyal. They're faithful. Okay. But see, God is faithful. That's what the Bible says. Okay. Not like a dog. Way more, way more incredible than that. Numbers 23 says this. God is not a man that he should lie or a son of man that he might change his mind. Does he speak and not act or promise and not fulfill? Psalm 119 says, Lord, your word is forever. It is firmly fixed in heaven. Your faithfulness is for all generations. You establish the earth and it stands firm. See, honesty, truthfulness, reliable, responsible. Okay, all these are kind of words that we could use for the word faithful. And see, we find faithfulness primarily and really only in God, right? He's somebody who we can count on, his word we can count on. What God says happens right he promised a messiah was going to come and then 2000 years later 
Jesus came, right? He promised Abraham he would have a child, right? It took some time, but, you know, 100 years or so, Abraham had a son, okay? God makes promises, and he keeps them, right? He had promised the Israelites, like, listen, if you guys disobey, this judgment is going to happen. And what happens? Judgment happens. But then God promises, hey, I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to restore you. The people are restored. So anytime God makes a promise, he keeps his promise, okay? We can trust him. Our God is faithful. He is faithful. Faithful is another word that you'll find over and over and over and over again when it talks about God. He's faithful. So for us as believers, we need to um, to exemplify. We need to have that trait as well, okay? We shouldn't be shady Christians, right? Or sneaky Christians, right? Like that's an oxymoron, right? That those two words shouldn't be used to describe a Christian, right? How can you be shady, but yet you're a child of God? How can you be sneaky and untrustworthy, but yet you're a child of God, right? We need to be able to keep our promises, right? We should do the things that we say we'll do and be what we'll say we'll be. That's how we should be as believers, right? Faithful. We should be the most trustworthy people, right? At work, right? We should be the people that do things the right way, that are honest, that are trustworthy, okay? Because we have the Spirit of God living within us. All right? Gentleness. So two more. So gentleness. All right, so don't get it twisted. Gentleness, which is sometimes translated as meekness, does not mean weakness, okay? So gentleness does not mean weakness. And I think this is a word that a lot of people, you know, they get turned off to Christianity, especially some men, because they think, oh, man, if you're a Christian, it means you're like weak or you're soft. Um, you know, these gentle guys, you know, I don't want to hear nothing about that. You know, like I'm, I'm a man, I'm, you know, I'm tough and this and that. Um, but that's not the case. OK, remember, Jesus was almighty God. He had power. But yet he restrained that power to serve other people. OK, he was gentle. He was kind. Right. He could have crushed all his enemies. In a, in a blink of an eye with a snap, not even a snap of his finger, just with thinking, okay? He could have crushed all his enemies. He had power over them, but he was gentle. And see, and that's what gentleness is, right? You have power over someone. You have the ability that you could do something, but instead you restrain that power and you serve. You care for people, right? There's this, um, this Christian rapper named Esso, and he says this thing. He says, Christ was not a hippie picking lilies in the field. Right. That's this, you know, image that sometimes people have of Jesus like, oh, he was this, you know, dainty, fairly calm guy. No. OK. He was a powerful God man. OK. But again, he was humble and gracious and served other people. Right. He touched people. He healed them. OK. With the power that he had. And so as believers, that's what we need to remember. Right. Because everyone has the power over someone, whether you're a boss or an employee or a coworker or a parent to a child. Right, we all have some, some level of power over some other people, even just in the words that we speak. So our words should be, the Bible talks about our speech should be gracious and seasoned, um, you know, kind, gentle. So gentleness should be one of the things that we exemplify as Christians, right? Our words and our actions should be gentle to others. All right. And lastly, we come to self-control. Okay. And I think it was important that on purpose that love was first and then self-control was last because I think it's an emphasis. The word self-control, it means to hold in passions and appetites. Because remember when we looked at the list of all of the, f the works of the flesh, all those things are showing a lack of self-control, right? The anger and the jealousy and the lust and um, all those different things, they show a lack of self-control. 
And so self-control is the last thing in this list because it is the one that we need overall with everything else. Okay? So some people think that being a Christian means we are trying to force ourselves to do things that we really don't want to do. Okay? And then force ourselves to not do things that we really, really, really want to do. Like, man, I really, really want to go to the club. I really, really want to, you know, smoke and drink. And I really want to do all these things. You know, and I really, really don't want to read my Bible. I really don't want to pray. But, man, I have to do this stuff. It's like, all right, fine. Okay? That is not the Christian life. Okay? Because some people think it's like, man, I have to force myself to do a bunch of things I really don't want to do. Okay? That shouldn't be the case. Paul says the exact opposite. All right? Here's what Paul says in Romans 7. He says, for I do, not, I do not understand what I am doing because I do not practice what I want to do, but I do what I hate. I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. See, when the Holy Spirit comes in your heart, there should be a change, right? The sin that you, we once loved, right, we should now hate. And again, that's to varying degrees. I'm not saying immediately you're going to be like, oh, man, I stopped cursing immediately, okay? That's not what we're talking about, but there's a shift when the Holy Spirit enters a believer's life, right? We're not going to now still love all the things that we used to love, okay? And hate all the things that we used to hate, right? We should see a change, even if it's small. There should be a change in our hearts as far as loving the things of God and hating sin, okay? That's what sets us apart from people who don't have God's Spirit in them, right? Because there's no fight for the non-believer to not do some of these things, right? They just do them. It's just like we said, that's our nature by default. But as believers, there's going to be this tension until we die of like, Lord, you know, I really don't want to do this sin, but I keep coming back to it. Okay. And we just keep praying and fighting. Okay. But the spirit can help us because on our own, we have no power over sin, right? By ourselves, we cannot stop sinning, but that's where the Holy Spirit comes in. He helps us to fight and control our sinful urges to fight against the sin we don't want to do and to do the good things that we do want to do. So those were the fruit of the spirit, right? We talked about each of them, looked at them individually. So here's the question now. How do we grow the fruit, right? Because we looked at what it should look like in our lives. But if you're honest and like myself, I was like, man, I don't really see all of these in my life all the time or in this amazing way. Okay, so how do we grow the fruit in our lives? Well, here's the thing. We can't. Okay, remember we talked about it's the fruit of who? It's the fruit of the Spirit, okay? It's not the fruit of Mardashe. It's not the fruit of you, okay, or anyone. It's the fruit of the Spirit. See, fruit is a, it's a natural product of growth. See, this is something that only the Holy Spirit can do in our lives. It's not us straining and trying like, man, I'm going to work really, really, really hard, Lord, to love people, okay? God, I'm going to work really, really, really hard. I'm going to try to be patient. I'm going to stand here and be patient. Like, that's not how it works. Okay, none of our trying and efforts are ever going to grow any of this fruit. Okay, it's not how it works. It's only something the Holy Spirit can do. So what does that mean? It's like, okay, well, Marta, if you're saying that, you know, I can't do it on my own and it's the spirit. So it's like, okay, well, all right, Lord, just do it. You know, Marta said I can't do it. So I'm going to stand right here, Lord. Go ahead. Give me the love. Give me the, the, the joy, the peace. All right. I'm going to just wait till you give me all of that. All right. And we're going to be zapped with the power. And now we're going to start doing it. Okay. It's not that either, okay? So the way it works is, so our salvation, there's a word that's called monergistic, okay? It's something only God does, 
right? Only God can save us. We have no ability in and of ourselves to save ourselves, right? That's something God does. But our, but our sanctification, the process where we're growing more and more like Jesus, it's dual. I forgot the word. I know it's not monergism. Synergism, thank you. Okay? It's synergism. So it's us and the Holy Spirit together. So, yes, it's going to require effort on our part, but anytime we see growth, if we're seeing ourselves growing more and more and more like Jesus, we can't take the credit for that. All right? Anytime you sin, that's 100% you. You take all the credit. Right? If you're lying, yep, that was me. 100% credit. Right? If you're cheating, 100%. All the credit goes to you. Okay? But if you're being loving and patient and kind and joyful and you have self-control, you give all of that credit to the Holy Spirit. Okay? He is the one doing that working in that in you, okay? So again, you get the credit for sin, he gets the credit for any of the fruit that you see in your life. So how does that happen? Okay, let me read two passages for you that are right around where we are. So if you're still in Galatians, okay, go to Galatians 5, verse 16. It's a couple of verses before what we read. And here's what it says, Galatians 5, 16. It says, I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. And then go down a couple of verses to verse 25, which is right after what we just read. So Galatians 5.25 says, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So how do we do that? How do we walk by the Spirit? And how do we keep in step with the Spirit? Well, there's a couple of ways. Do you guys know what is the, the motto of Pillar Church? Does everybody know? You should all know by now. What's the motto? Y'all are all fired, okay? <laughs> Growing closer to Jesus and each other, okay? Some people know it, all right. None of these people can be members next week, as I can, all right? Okay, growing closer to Jesus and each other. See, the first part of that is growing closer to Jesus, right? Spending time with the Lord on your own, whether it be through, through studying your Bible, through prayer, these are, you know, this is ways that we're going to get closer to Jesus, right? You're not going to grow. The Holy Spirit is not going to be able to work in your life if you are not studying God's word, knowing the things that he wants you to know, right? The Bible is how God speaks to us, right? This is his word. We need to read it. We need to know it on a regular basis, right? We can't grow as believers if we're not in his word, but also prayer, right? Prayer is a dependency on the spirit. Because if we say the spirit is the one who's going to grow all these things in us, well, we have to ask for his help. We have to seek his face, right? We've got to pray, okay? If you see a lack of love in your life, pray like, Lord, help me. Like I've got some patience, but you know what? I have no love. Help me spirit, please. Okay. Lord, you know what? I've got some joy, but I really, I don't see a lot of peace in my life. Help me. Holy spirit, please give me peace. Okay. So we need to be doing those two things. And then also, our brothers and sisters in the faith, like God put them here to help us. Like that is what the spirit will use to grow these things in us as well, right? We need brothers and sisters to, to tell us, hey, you're tripping, like you can't do that, right? Or when we're sinning, to call us out on that and say, you know what? Brother, sister, that's sinful, that goes against God. Like, hey, you need to be doing this or that, okay? Or praying with us if we're down and, you know, we're feeling depressed or, um, sad about a situation or whatever it may be, we need other brothers and sisters to help us, to strengthen us, to pray with us, okay? They, these are all ways that the Spirit works in us. But also, we need to be engaged in the world, right? I know back in the day, like the, 
the monasteries, like the monks, they would seclude themselves from the world. Okay, but remember, we're supposed to be in this world, but not of the world. So we can't be hiding in our Christian silos, our Christian bubbles, and not engaging with the world. Okay, we've got to be out there being the light to the world. And that's one way that the Spirit will grow these things in us. Because again, to grow patience, you've got to be tested in your patience, right? You're not going to be patient by yourself where nobody ever bugs you and gets on your nerves, right? People got to get on your nerves for you to have patience, for have that to grow, right? You can't love sacrificially if you've got nobody around you to actually, you know, step on your toes and force you to have to love them and forgive them, right? We need other people to build up these fruits in us, okay? And so none of these things are going to happen in a silo if we are all by ourselves, never interacting with others, especially unbelievers, Okay, because like we said earlier, they're supposed to see these things in us, and that points them to God. Okay, they're supposed to glorify God by seeing us um, displaying good deeds, loving other people. And I'm like, man, you know, this person just cursed you out, and you reacted, you know, this way. Like, I would have cursed them out back. How come you didn't do that? You know, and ask those sort of questions. Like, they should be seeing those things in us. Okay, so we should be demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Because the evidence of the Spirit's leading is the fruit of the Spirit. Okay? And to close, I want to read a couple of quotes for you guys. Okay? A Christian will never be completely victorious in always demonstrating the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Okay, let me say that again. A Christian will never be completely victorious in always demonstrating the fruits of the Holy Spirit. It is one of the main purposes of the Christian life, though, to progressively allow the Holy Spirit to produce more and more fruit in our lives. And that's what we said at the beginning. You know, none of us are going to see 10 out of 10 on every single one of these things. Okay? That's not going to happen until heaven. But we should be progressively seeing, even if it's in small measures, growth in the Spirit working these things in us. Okay? So a little bit more love, a little bit more peace, a little bit more joy. Okay? on a daily basis. That's the Holy Spirit's job. But we have to yield ourselves to allow the Spirit to do that in us. Okay? And so here's the question for all of us to answer is, are we bearing fruit? Okay? Are we seeing the fruit of the Spirit growing in our lives? Or do we only see the sinful fruit of the works of the flesh? Because see, if that's the point, if you're only seeing the works of the flesh in your life, if you're like, well, I don't really see the fruit of the Spirit in my life. Like, I don't see any of these things as habitual, regular practices in my life. You know, if all you're seeing is a, a habit of regular sin, well, we need to repent, okay? Put our trust in Jesus, turn to Him, right? If that's you, if you're noticing, you know what? Maybe I'm not a believer. Maybe I haven't put my trust in Jesus. Um, then come seek one of us, one of the elders. You know, we can pray for you, find a brother or sister. Or if you're a believer and you're like, you know what, I just really haven't, you know, even thought about how the Spirit can grow these things in my life. I haven't prayed and asked for the Spirit's help in leading um, or surrendering to Him, growing these things in me. Or, you know what, I've really neglected reading God's Word or spending time in prayer, okay? Or neglected spending time with my brothers and sisters, you know, who can encourage me to grow in these areas. Well, that's the good thing about God. Remember we talked about earlier, God is patient and he's kind. There's, listen, there's no more judgment. There's no more condemnation if you are a believer. That's the Spirit's job is to continue to pull us back to him. So if we're seeing ourselves straying, listen, cry out to God, repent, and turn back to him. And again, the Spirit can start to grow these fruit in our lives. Let's pray. 
Father, thank you for your word. And I pray that it's gone forth, God, that we would see these things and that as believers we would be encouraged um, to know that while we may not see these things perfectly and 100% in our lives, we know that your spirit can work in us to help us to grow. And we know that it's not going to be by our best efforts and by straining and toiling and trying to work. But as we seek your face, um, as we put these things into practice, God, your spirit, you will do the work, God. And we'll come alongside you in the work that you're already doing, God, and continue to grow. Um, and so I just pray for the believers in here. I pray for those who don't know you, that they would today turn, repent from their sins, God, and put their hope and faith in you alone, Jesus. Because there's no way we can have any of these things apart from your spirit living inside of us. And so let that be uh, an encouragement to us all today. In your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen.